With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. I had a bad boy moment where I, I was like, I just wanted to create my own merch. So I went onto his website and started creating it. And uh, then started selling some stuff, and then got a bit of a telling off from McLaren because I'm not allowed to do that. And, and was <laughs> <laughs> the 2022 Formula One season is almost here, and so is the new season of F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. The first episode of season five comes out on Wednesday, the 16th of March. I can't reveal too much here, but let's just say it's a big one. You won't want to miss it. And between now and then, there's a chance to catch up with our huge back catalogue of in-depth interviews with F1's biggest stars. And to help you out, we'll be re-releasing four of my favourite episodes. And up first on Beyond the Grid Revisited is Lando Norris. I spoke to Lando in March 2020, and listening back to our chat now, it's a brilliant snapshot of how he was feeling and what his life was like as he prepared for his second season in Formula One. It's only when you listen back that you realise how much he's developed in the time that's passed since then. What he said about his lifestyle, his teammates, gaming, social media, and his place in McLaren takes on new meaning today. And his stories, his stories about getting in trouble with McLaren or his early meeting with Red Bull driver program chief Helmut Marko are hilarious. So whether this is the first time you've heard this chat with Lando or you're revisiting it, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Lando, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you on. The new season's just around the corner. Before we get started, there's an interesting pile of food sat in front of you. Um, <laughs> which I've not eaten. Which you have not eaten. I seem to do a lot of these interviews with people eating uh, uh, Daniel oh, yeah. Ricciardo. But that was, he was eating chips, interestingly. That's a lot more healthy, isn't it? What is it? A bit of chicken? Um, it's chicken skewers with some sweet potato, some vegetables and a little side salad. And, and who dictates what you have for lunch? Are you able to choose or is, is it all quite strict? Um, I mean, I, I have my preferences, which is normally a chicken wrap with rice and guacamole. I mean, that, that's, I go through a big, a huge quantity of wraps. This is not on my favourites list, but sometimes you just got to not have what you, you always want. Because I'll get bored of wraps eventually, so I have to sometimes give myself something I don't necessarily like. So when I go back to having a wrap, it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> my, my trainer, um, my trainer, pretty much decides. I doesn't decide, but he gives me a whole list of things I can choose from that I, I should have. Uh, but I mean, this is all cold now. I just had a meeting in the in the truck, and uh, this has been sitting in front of me for at least an hour. Oh, okay. So it might do another. But hour. But I've been doing a lot side. of talking. Yeah. And I yeah. probably will be now. So it's going to be in front of me for another hour. <laughs> 
Well, you look in good shape. Um, I mean, they always say fitness is cumulative. Yeah. Are you in? How much better shape are you in now compared to twelve months ago? Coming into your first season, uh, I think a lot better. Um, I mean, the main thing is how I've done in the last few days, and one of the biggest things everyone struggles with is neck around here. After doing so many laps, we're, we're in Barcelona. It's the last Barcelona. day of the first, sorry, second preseason second test, test, and yeah. the next been standing up to these G forces. Um, well, hmm. test one, no. Test one, I was by the end of it, I was struggling. I did the race run and everything, and I did a decent amount in the gym. Not like you know, not every single day going at it, but what I I needed to do, what my trainer said, you need to do these amount of days and so on. So I've done all of that. So I was feeling good. But um, I don't even think if you do all of, as if you train every day, you're not gonna go into day one of driving a Formula One car after a winter break and be, be fine. It's just the way of how driving a car works, you just can't replicate it by someone pulling on your neck and sitting off the side of your bed doing neck exercises. Um, because you don't have the whole force on your body and your shoulders, you know, in the same position. Um, and you can replicate it as much as you want, but you're not driving a Formula One car until you're driving a Formula One car. And these are quicker than last year, right? They are. Is it noticeable on your body? Um, the forces going through. It is, and I think for us, obviously, uh, we had you know, compared to Mercedes, I'm sure they struggled to make as. M- I'm hoping they can't take as much of a step forward as what we should be able to. Let's say. Um, and we want to be getting closer to them. So we should be the ones getting much quicker in the corners, which you do notice physically because you go from doing your, your qualifying runs or you do, you do practice runs. You go on new, new, new tires, low fuel, cornering speeds go up. You feel it physically straight away. You know, you're going 5, 10K quicker in the corners, um, especially around here, turn 3, turn 1, turn 4, medium and high speed corners. And you feel it straight away. So... I mentioned for Mercedes, who go even quicker. Physically, you do need to be stronger to drive a Mercedes than another car. But uh, And for us, we've taken a step forward in those medium and high speed corners, so physically it is tougher. Um, but day one, I struggled, and everyone struggled on the grid. I mean, even the people who have been in it for 10 years and know what to expect and how it's going to be. Vettel, Lewis, Max, Ricardo. You see all of them after lunchtime, their necks are, they're saying hello to the, the headrests very often. Um, and so was mine, like being honest, so was mine. But um, this week I'm, I'm much better. Like after recovering and just doing, getting the first weekend, the first week out of the way, the first few days, letting your body recover after getting used to how everything works again. Um, I did my race run, I did all the quality runs and uh, I was good. I didn't touch the headrest once, which I'm kind of proud of. Yay! Because I'm not the biggest. <laughs> I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the strongest. I know that. And uh, you know, you see all the other drivers who are say they're in the gym every day and they're the fittest they've ever been, and um, they're leaning their necks on every single corner. So look, that's that's the physical differences, right? Yes. Between last year and this year. But as you come into year two, how does it feel mentally in terms of? You know the score, you know yeah. the media now, you know how it works, you know how to get the best out of the team. And with that, is there more pressure to perform? There's a different pressure. There's less pressure altogether, less pressure that I put on myself. I think last year I put a lot of pressure on myself um, because I didn't know how I was going to do. I did well in some testing and everything, but 
that's not the actual race weekend. Um, but that must have lessened after Melbourne. Yeah, that's straight away after weekend. Melbourne. Q3 it went down. In Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, and it felt much better than it did Bahrain. Had a much better, better race. Yeah, yeah. Then I had in Australia, even better. So I had a very good first two races to give myself a lot of confidence, which I think helped massively. But I put a lot of pressure on myself, not knowing what to expect. Now I know what to expect. I don't need to put that pressure on myself. Um, I didn't need to put it on before, but I just I was putting it on myself. So now I'm, I feel much better for my own well-being, but then at the same time, there's always pressure from just being a Formula One driver. Um, you kind of have to be on working for McLaren. the whole time, don't you? Yes. You can't have a bad day. No. Do you, is that true? Um, I mean, or, you, you obviously you can, have to, but... You have to mask a bad day very well. Yeah, you need to come up with this, <laughs> the excuse book for, yeah, but you know, I just feel like we didn't start the weekend off right and... <laughs> That led to not get working on the setup as well but as we should have done. Is, is that exhausting though? That that feeling of you get on the plane to go to a race and and you know that from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave yep. on Sunday night, people are looking at you, people are listening to every word you say, people mm. are judging every sector you do on a racetrack. No, I think that that is there, but we're still humans. We we make mistakes sometimes. It's it's expected. Of course, being last year in my first year, it was expected more so. So you have a bit more leeway to make those mistakes. And if it does happen, it's don't worry, you'll, don't do it again. <laughs> um, but I'm more confident in myself and I know I will do a better job. Um, but it is, yeah, it's Formula One. There is pressure that there's always going to be pressure. No matter if you're in your, you know, I'm sure for Lewis, there's still pressure. There's still some expectation for him to do well and so on. But I think you just get a bit used to it and it becomes the norm. So then it just you don't feel it eventually in, in certain ways. And how has your understanding of speed and how to make the car go quick evolved? It's, um, it's much better, actually. Um, especially my understanding for the car and how it works. Because F1 cars are so complicated, it's insane. Um, what and how to make them go fast in terms of setup wise and everything um you know the differences from a bumpy track to a smooth track and how the car operates there's always a little window for how the car perfectly operates and you always want to try and get it in that window for different tracks and sometimes you can't and you have to adjust your driving style to suit that so the understanding for how the car needs to be driven and set up and so on um, and my ideas and knowledge for the setup and what you know I can now say I think we should try this because I remember when we did that last year that was a good step forward so I have some memories and things I can look back on and say we have to do this or this worked last time and so on do you keep a notebook? no As well a, do you go to a race and, and I always bring a notebook I ended up writing I ended up writing nothing in it <laughs> but I want to like um no, I mean, we do. I don't have my own notebook, but as... I'm not sure Will. We have our own chat and we always write anything that I come up with or I have an idea for, or they do, we put in the chat and we discuss it next time we see each other. So I guess we got a social notebook. So, so you, are you now more demanding as a racing driver in terms of Will Joseph, your, your race engineer? Yeah. Do, do you, if he was sat in this chair here, would he be <laughs> nodding saying, yes, he is more demanding? Um, I Yes, 
I was, but not not obviously in a bad way. I'm not saying I'm arrogant or anything like that. But last year, you know, my first year, um, I didn't have the knowledge of those guys in in a lot of areas. So in a lot of circumstances, when they're saying I think we should do this, I was agreeing to it. I'm like, yeah, boxes slap. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm doing. I'll do that because that's what they think is the best at that time, and and so on. So I always there was a lot of yeses. I was yes man last year. And this year already in preseason, like they're saying, all right, Lando box this slap. And I said, no, I feel so bad. Like, no, I'm doing another lap. Um, and I say, no, I just, I didn't feel like I got it right. I want to, I need a bit more of a feeling for the setup or I just want to get turn right, get, um, turn one right uh, before we go into the qualifying run or I want to try this or something. So for my own good and for the good for everyone actually it's um i'm a bit more demanding what i want to do and want to achieve and um yeah it's not just for my own benefit but i'll do a better job because of it and then i'll give better feedback on the car because of it and, and so on so yeah i'm at the point now and after doing the season where they also trust me when i say it it's not like i always get it wrong and i'm saying yes because I'm arrogant, but I'm saying yes because it's the best thing for, for me. So is it fair to say, from a setup point of view, yeah. you maybe followed Carlos Sainz, teammate Carlos Sainz, a bit last year, and we're going to see you maybe do your a own thing bit. a bit more um, in 2020? Not, not completely. Sometimes it was the contrast. Sometimes it was like I would do it, and sometimes I didn't necessarily want the fastest car. I wanted one that... I felt good in and I felt like I could be confident in. Um, already like in Australia last year. My first time, Carlos was going with a bit more aggressive, one he felt maybe not so confident with, maybe he felt confident, but compared to me, I'm like a bit stiff, I, I don't want that. I, don't want, I want the confidence on the brakes. I want to be able to push the braking and I don't want to lose confidence basically. So we go for a slightly softer setup and, and so on. And sometimes I'll be the opposite way of what Carlos is going. So. You have that and then you have the other times where I'm like, look, Carlos did that and it looked like a good step. Let's just do what he's done. And sometimes that's between FP3 and qualifying. Sometimes that's from FP2 to FP3. So I wouldn't say I just followed what they did because it was my first time and I didn't know what to do. I think, and I'm, I'm happy with what we did between my engineers and myself that we always did what we thought was best for us, us as a, as a, a team um, and for me and my driving. It's fascinating and fun to hear you talking so technically about the car because, I mean, if I was to say to you what's the biggest misapprehension about you, the, the sort of biggest misunderstanding about you, what would it be? Would it be that you're actually very analytical and it's like it goes against the jokey persona that you, you developed um, last year? I don't think the outside world hears you talk in such detail no. about the car and stuff like that. So no, now's your chance, folks. It's like, yeah, I think I'm quite, a lot of the time I'm quite broad with things. Like when I say something, I'll say it in a quite simple way to most people. But when I get into something, and it's not just saying something, but say I'm, um, I don't know, I think this is a good something to compare to. If I'm cleaning the house. Um, You've I'm, just bought a new house, haven't you? So you're obviously still very house proud. Yes, <laughs> so completely. Let's talk about cleaning the house. Um, if I'm cleaning the house, I get into it and I can't stop until 
one for the, the speaking. I've described everything and I feel like I've transferred it in the best driver feeling way to an engineer who's not driven a Formula One car and he looks at graphs and he tries to judge a car from that. Because um, it's not, you know, we didn't just say, yeah, we've got to understeer here and I just turn the wheel more and it doesn't grip. We have to try and explain it in a way to a guy who designs it and comes up with these ideas. And, you know, you need to tell them every little bit of detail that maybe puts the car in a, a certain position, whether it's a few millimeters, that's massive in Formula One. Um, so it's like, you need to describe everything. And um, when I get into something, I just, I have to complete it, I have to finish it, I have to do all the details. So when I'm cleaning the house, I can't just start it. Like once I've started, I will spend all night until three in the morning or something, probably because I've started at like 12 o'clock and I've just had a stupid idea to go, I'm gonna start cleaning up. I just can't stop it and go, yeah, I'll leave this for tomorrow. I have to complete it and, and do everything and then I go to bed at <laughs> stupid o'clock, four in the morning going, Having cleaned the house. I've cleaned all night. it. That's amazing. And I come down the next come around morning, to mind you probably sometime. knackered, <laughs> and go, but then I'm happy with myself. And I'm like, nice. Are you a bit of a night owl? Oh, completely. So, what, what I mean, you, you say you go to bed at four o'clock in the morning, and that that's, I, I that's was surprised on a rare, a rare that, occasion that, that, that I've decided <laughs> to clean. <laughs> <laughs> but is it, I mean, are you a midnight? Is it? Oh, uh, yes. I am. Um, midnight to bed. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, lately. And so over the winter I was, and I was going to bed too late for now, for going back to McLaren, for going back to to doing what I love, um, and for working and operating at my best. There's I have, I have different times. So I have the I want to spend all night having fun and playing games and whatever. There is no limit to that. That can end up. Sometimes that doesn't end. I'll spend the forty eight hours doing it. Um, and then hang, hang on, hang on, stop. You really? really? Yeah. Really? 48 hours there was non-stop gaming? Oh, wait, 48 hours? I would say, say I wake up at 10 in the morning, um, have some breakfast, get on the computer <laughs> for a few hours, have lunch, and pretty much spend, let's say, 2 o'clock until 7, or actually won't be able to, 2 o'clock till 9, I'll have dinner, and then go from 9 till the next day, what time? All through the night? 7, till 7 a.m. Till 7 a.m.? Still playing. <laughs> Breakfast. Uh, then I'll spend all the way till like midnight the next day. That's extraordinary. But it's just, I don't know why. It's just, that's how much I, well, I, suppose I other enjoy old, things. Other 20 I mean, other than 20 got them going out at night and yeah. coming out at 5 every morning and, and you're doing it being drunk way. and stuff. So mine's, I'm not getting drunk. I'm, I, I do that very rarely. Um, but I don't enjoy that. Whereas I love doing stuff and stuff I love doing, I just can't stop doing. So whether it's driving or, you know, designing my helmets or designing my clothing um, or coming up with those ideas or playing games or something or playing my, my computer. Once I'm doing that, I just, I'm just having so much fun. I don't go, oh, I'm getting a bit tired now. I just, the fun overrides all of that and the enjoyment overrides all of that. Um, and I become a nerd and I spend however many hours that is when you say designing your own clothing yeah what do you mean by that I didn't well I had a little I had a bad boy moment where I I was like I just wanted to create my own merch so I went onto his website and started creating it and uh, then started selling some stuff and then got a bit of a telling off from McLaren because I'm not allowed to do that 
and and was <laughs> <laughs> what was the style? I didn't see this. I didn't know you. Well, no one's no one's <laughs> right. After about one hour, I got turned no, off. I, th- oh, I thought you said you sold some stuff. Yeah, I did a couple of things. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a massive hoodie guy. Always hoodies. I don't think you'll ever see me. Very rarely wear a is it a fleece? A, a, just a normal jumper that's got no hoodie on. Apart from when I have to dress a bit smarter. Then I wear it, but anytime I'm traveling, I'm in casual clothing, from here to the airport in a bit. From anytime you see me traveling, I will not be wearing a normal jumper, I'll always be wearing a hoodie. Because you're trying to hope no, I people just don't love recognize hoodies. you? No, you're I just, hoodie. They're comfortable. I, so, I can't do it one with no neck. I don't know, I feel really cold then. My neck feels really cold. Oh, I see, so the hoodie's not up the whole time. Just, um, some of the time, half the time. Incognito. Yeah, no, no. with my headphones over the top. I still can't work out if I put my headphones under the hoodie or my headphones over the hoodie. Or I just get in-ear Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> I've not worked that one out yet. But, um, yeah, no, I just, I'm, I'm not good at Photoshop. I'm not good at those kind of things, but I still can create little logos. I mean, I use my logo and I cut it up into a few bits and then kind of put it back together and it looks a bit jagged and so on. And, um, I don't know, it just looks cool and it's a bit of a style and stuff. Um, or you can do different colours for and just create some stuff. Oh, what a pity we can't buy that. I know, right? Did you say, well, Lewis can do that? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I have that kind of authority <laughs> in year one of driving for McLaren <laughs> compared to a six-time world champion. I didn't feel like I had the right to do that. Um, but I would love to. Like, That's really interesting. I love doing that kind of stuff. That's one of my passions and things I love doing is designing and coming up with my own ideas and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I just had that, like with the cleaning stuff, this moment where I'm, I'm like, I got this idea. I just want to create a jumper and sell it. <laughs> and then I do the creative jumpers and then some t-shirts. Um, I mean, and phone cases as well. Um, and I can come up with my own designs and you know, I can transfer it and I can, I can do that kind of stuff. And then I completed it. I was happy with myself that I completed are you, it. Are you very arty? I'm, I have a, a keen eye for <laughs> art. I wouldn't say I'm the best at it. Like when I was in school, I loved art. Right. Not, you know, hand painting on a canvas, but uh, more the graphic design, the cool um, interaction parts. The, yeah, the, the more fun stuff rather than painting on a canvas. I didn't enjoy that kind of stuff. But the, um, yeah... Graphic design is probably one of the best ways to say it. Um, just coming up with some, I don't know, just if I have an idea, I, I love doing it. I even remember back in school, that's a freaking long time ago. Hang on, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I assure you it was longer for me. 20, 2011. Ages ago. Yeah. Back in the day, I went to school with Manuel Maldonado who is Pastor Maldonado's cousin. And he races in Formula Renault or something now. Um, and I went to school with him and we, of course we we're like best mates because we knew everything about racing. And just Was he racing? Was, he was, was doing, at the time? Mm, he, was, he wasn't doing a lot at the time because I think he just moved from Venezuela or something to, to England. Um, and he spoke no English. He ended up speaking quite a bit. But Can you, um, can you speak Spanish? No. Okay. Um, a little bit. But so how, how no. did you communicate with him? Hmm? How did you communicate with him? I mean, well, I couldn't begin with. 
<laughs> you sign language of cars. <laughs> Push. Um, and I just got this, like, um, we created this on a big, like, big poster. We coloured in. <laughs> it sounds really sad now. Coloured in, like, a picture of the Joker. The Joker. And we traced it from the projector onto this big poster. And we coloured it in. And uh, I know it's still really cool. I actually have it um, at my parents' house. Uh, it's still there. But no, we just have cool... There's cool things which I I like and I'm, I have an interest for, um, which I love. And I love to keep those things and keep the memories for it. And that's something I loved doing since I was really young um, and doing some, like, photography and... Bits and so, so as, a, as a kid, is that yeah. what you were good at outside of racing um, carts and cars? Oh, I, mean, I don't think I was thing, ever though. good at it, but... I would spend a lot of time doing it, like hours and hours and hours, um, coloring in, like coming up with the helmet designs, um, not even my own, but just making an idea um, or having an idea and coming up with it and stuff. And I spent hours doing that and I did a lot in school and come up with the drawings and find the bottle and try and draw the bottle, but I was not very good at that. So I stopped that and I found more of the graphic design and coming up with the helmet designs, my suit design, boots, um, that's when it felt more like what I would create, I would, I'd be wearing and it felt more part of me rather than drawing a picture of a bottle or something. I mean, you say when you were at school, I mean, as a guy who did a lot of karting, yeah. how often were you actually at school and how much of it was homeschooling in the way that Lewis Hamilton was and so many yeah. of the karters? Are- um, so I did one year of homeschooling in my final year which was my years of GCSEs. Before that, we like let's say, I hung on as much as I could with being at school and catching up on lost time and, and so on. But karting then was driving and testing Wednesday, Thursday, racing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Most weeks or? M- majority of weeks. I would say at least two every month. Maybe probably, yeah, two, in three England, every month. Or were you no, this is abroad, international. Mainly Italy, Spain, UK. And that's a lot of time. Wednesday, so I travel Tuesday evening or Tuesday lunchtime, would have to leave sometimes. So you and did one and a half days a week. It was awful. I don't mean, why would anyone come up with the idea of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday weeks of karting? And this was when I was 12, 13. But it was, you know, kids who are doing that at already like nine, ten years old. So I, it's a bad thought process, whoever came up with that. And I think now they've changed it. So it's a lot of the time Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Did you feel you were missing out? Or were you just loving the karting so much? No, I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. Of course, I missed out on things. And I missed out on a lot of normal people things and stuff you grow up doing with your friends at school. I've not really kept in contact with any of my friends in school, which is sad. It, it is a kind of a sad thing to think about. But uh, yeah, I do feel like I missed out on, on certain things. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to change it to do anything else. But what's it like being on the road in Italy, age 12, 13, yeah. being homeschooled? So what, you had a teacher come with you in the, so in I the truck? Or? No, so... I was homeschooled in what, GCSE time, so 20... Oh, sorry, you said that, yeah, yeah. I don't know what year that would have been. 2014, 2013. Um, 
what do you, I don't know what you, but what's it like to be on the road the whole time as a 12, 13, 14 year old? Um, I mean, I was loving it because I was missing school. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was tough. It's not all, it wasn't all. Just, who, was, who was in the entourage? Who came with you? Did mum, dad come uh, with no, you? Did, uh, did never my mum, really, uh, but always my, my dad and my brother. Like, my brother did karting all the way till we started together and did karting till 2014. The year I made the transition from, I did Janetta and the, the World Championships and before F, um, F4 in 2015. So, so Ollie, is, yeah. he, is he the reason you got into cars and karts? No, it's, it's the opposite. Because um, your he's family, the there's, I, no, there's no racing history in your no. family, is there? Am I right? So, yeah. so how did it all happen? So I watched it on TV sometimes, I, and I watched MotoGP. It's the story I actually tell a lot. Uh, is I watched MotoGP before I watched F1 or F2 or anything like that. Hence the Rossi. Hence Rossi. And he was the first kind of cool character, which being four or five years old, I just loved. He was so cool and the colors and everything. Um, yeah, and he's the guy since that age that I've always looked up to. And, and sorry to interrupt the train of thought, but when you met Rossi, Valentino Rossi, yeah. we're talking about, you went to Silverstone last year, yes. didn't you, to the to the MotoGP race? What was it like? So he is your hero. If I was to say to you, yeah. who is your hero, would you say Valentino? Yes. Right. What was it like to meet him, and what did you say? Um, what was it like to meet him? Well, it was weird because I'm at the point where you know I'm old enough now and like mature enough that is you act differently around your heroes than you would have done if I met him when I was 10. And I would have been a massive fanboy and just couldn't stop screaming. Whereas, I'm, yeah, now I'm at the point, I was, well, I think it was, well, I was 19 then, and you, you act more normal. Um, and you don't get overexcited and stuff. But well, I want to say, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't watch him, but he inspired me to do a lot of the things that I've done and to start motor racing and start did you tell him that um no what was the first thing I said how's it going <laughs> so boring um yeah it was one of the first things was uh so how's it going because it was in the middle of the race weekend it was Saturday no Sunday Sunday morning they just had warm up and how's it going and we decided that hopefully in the near future we can uh, do a race together. He does a bit of car racing. He did Dubai 12 hours, is it? End of last year. So he does a few car races. He was quick at Valencia in the Ferrari back in 2006. Back when he was testing. He, he tested alongside Michael Schumacher yeah. and was, did a proper job, really good job. Okay, so look, he's the reason yeah. you got into motorsport. So a lot of people might then say, why are, you, are we not having this conversation uh, in a MotoGP paddock, yeah. why, why the car racing and not the bike racing? Well, so I started on bikes, um, and I had a, a little motocross Yamaha uh, when I was much younger. Um, still got it now, actually. Can't start it for some reason. Um, and I started under that, and I, and I loved it. I would spend as much time doing that as I could. But I had one like little crash. I mean, it was a little crash. It felt a huge crash. Um, and I just tried doing this little jump and I had no idea what I was doing. And I went over and I landed on the front wheel and went over, the bike landed on me. And I still six, six years old, seven years old, scared me. Didn't want to do it. 
Um, and I kind of stopped for, for a little while. And um, then um, I was watching those races. I started watching a little bit of Formula One as well. But then my dad took my brother and me to Clay Pigeon, which is a local karting track, um, as the British Championships. And somehow we found out that it was, or he found out that it was there. And we went to watch on a Sunday afternoon, um, just in time for the final. And it was really cool. It's my first thing I went to go and watch. And I, I, yeah, it was just really cool to see it at that age. And my dad went around asking people if they had any spare suits and boots. Because I said I wanted to have a go. But I wasn't allowed. It was a proper race weekend. Um, so he was going around asking people, Have you got anything spare? Have you got anything you don't need anymore? And we ended up going away with, I remember the, a blue Sparco suit, I think it was. And uh, some pair, a pair of boots, which are way too big for me. <laughs> and then I had to buy the helmets. And uh, I didn't even think I bought new boots. I think I had to wear the boots, which are way too big for me. And uh, yeah, that was that. That was my first time. And not long after, I think for my seventh birthday, I got a Bambino go-kart which I started driving around at home with a little square bit of tarmac where I put some cones out and I would drive around. It was pretty small. But, um, yeah, I did that. Loved doing it. Was, was it like a lightning strike? Bam, this is what... Yes. I've never felt this before. Yeah. It was sort of first... Was it, your, was it your first passion in It life? was. I felt more in control than I ever did in a bike. Well, actually, well, I had the quad bike before I had the bike. And I loved that. So I loved the four wheels, actually. And apparently I was getting too dangerous from it. So my dad sold it without me knowing and just said it's gone. I felt that was a bit harsh. So I had no more quad biking. Then I, then I got the motorbike, which I don't know how that's really any more safe. Um, so I had the motorbike and then, um, then the quad bike, but then the, then the go-kart. But the car was the best thing. As soon as I jumped in, it just feels more, it's more comfortable. You're sitting down. I just felt more at home straight away. And um, I loved doing it. And my brother saw how much I loved doing it. And uh, he wanted to have a go. And then he loved doing it. And then... So you did it together. It was a, it, something yeah. you and him... Yeah. A bit of sibling rivalry. Pretty much. Well, I only raced against him for the first year or so. Because he's a bit older than me. Three years, four years. Who was quicker? Um, to begin with, he was quicker. He was much quicker, actually. And he was like doing pretty well and are you just saying that because they probably listened to this no 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 he was when he first started when he first started just reiterating that you know we were racing with with George and at that point we were nobody like I mean with George Russell we're talking about George Russell and George was the guy he was the he was the champion I don't know know if he was the champion but he was the the guy winning races he was a cool guy if we ever got to racing, we're like, oh my God, we get to, George overtook me today. It's so cool. And he was, yeah, it was, that was, that was how we started, not knowing anything. And it was just cool to be like on track with George Russell. And he was racing with them and he did really well in a lot of the races and I was always a lot further back. But he was, my brother's quite tall, six foot something. And that is a disadvantage in, in karting. But whenever it was wet, and it's an advantage. Fact, it's an advantage. Because I was terrible in the way and I was small. So it was a disadvantage for me. Um, he was really good. He was polling the European Championships in PFI, which is a, a karting track in England. Then he was polling, I think, another European race in La Conca in Italy. Um, okay, all right. 
Yeah, he can do it. Beating me both of those times. This mm. was in 2014, our final year. And he had two poles and I think I had none. So his so, ratio of, of... So why did he stop? So he didn't, he doesn't, he didn't enjoy, he liked the social side and the, um, how relaxing karting was. You know, we go out there on a Wednesday and it's a lot of time with a lot of friends, a lot of competitors, but you knew a lot of people. I'm surprised your folks didn't have social services after them <laughs> taking both of their sons out of school on what a Tuesday did you say? Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of drivers doing it and, uh, he, he really enjoyed how open and fun it was and enjoyment. When you get to car racing, it's a lot more serious, costs a lot more money. You're going a lot quicker. It's more dangerous. And, uh, he just didn't enjoy that as much. He loved the karting and didn't enjoy the car racing as much. Did, was that easier for you when he wasn't around? Did you prefer being the focus and the... No, I w- um, uh, No. It was, I mean, it was fun when we're driving together because we're trying to beat each other. It was competition, brotherly competition. It was different when he went away, but it was... I mean, by the time we stopped, I was 14. I, I had a bit more of an idea of what what was going on, things I, I wanted to do. Um, you know, this was the, the year of doing Ginetta uh, and he was doing karting. So it was still different. And I just, yeah, would start traveling alone and he wouldn't be there. Uh, so it was a bit weird, but then... Was George, was George Russell a mate back then? Or was he just who... You no, know, he was more the guy we looked up to. <laughs> no, you still have to be mates, I suppose, or not? Um... No, I mean, can you remember having a barbecue like, with him? Or why would he be like mates that? with me? I'm, like, I'm the guy in 15th place and he's winning races. He's not going to want to be mates with me. <laughs> After, by the time we got to the end of karting, we were mates. The first few years we, we won, I, we didn't know him at all. But then as we kind of took a few steps up and he was racing abroad and then I started racing abroad, another Brit. Um, then you start to get to know him a bit more and you speak and... Um, is he your best mate on the grid now? George? Yeah. Uh, well, him, Alex, and... The Brit Pack. Him and Alex, we just know well. We get along really well. Because of racing last year and kind of going up and karting a little bit together. Um, but then on the side, obviously, Carlos um, and Max. Those are the group of guys that I speak to mostly. Max, because of doing all the sim racing. But you raced against Max in karting as well? Never. I'm sure I've seen a photograph of you two. There's two of us because I won the European Championships that day. Ah, different And he races, won the European so. Championships that day, but in seniors. Ah, okay. So you, so you were in the same paddock, but not the same, same paddock, race. but not okay. in the, the same category. Can um, we talk about those relationships a bit? Because, you know, we're sitting, the, we're sitting in the McLaren motorhome and, you know, this is where Senna Prost had their yeah. thing going on. And you could also, I think, include Lewis and Fernando Alonso back in 2007. And there's always been, you know, a bit of needle. And, and I find the sort of the friendship with Carlos seems genuine. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's not. Um, it is. Everything we do is none of it's acting. None of it's something we're not. We're both just enjoying being where we are, working with each other. And with McLaren, that we're, we're free to just be who we want to be. We don't need to hide or be somewhere we're not, like I think you do see in other teams. From what I've seen of Carlos, he's very different to what he was the last few years. Have you discussed that? Has he, does he admit that? Mm, I don't know. I haven't. He feels, 
I haven't discussed it with him, but just uh, as an observer, he seems very relaxed in this environment. Yeah. He seems very relaxed around you. Yeah. Whereas at Renault, he had Hulkenberg and, and yeah, and I don't think that it, like um, you would say the Red Bull. Anyone who's in the Red Bull situation is just tense, I think, because you've always got another driver that's there somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, you know the story of how Red Bull works. Were you ever tempted? Were you ever asked to become part of that program, the Red Bull program? Um, no. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I met... Well, I, no, I don't really know. Um, I met Helmut Marco actually, after qualifying on pole in Monaco before being disqualified for having something illegal on the car. Um, <laughs> I was in Formula Renault, it was 2016, or 2015. Yeah, 2015, and, uh, no, 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um, and uh, yeah, I was on pole, and my manager got called from Helmut Marco. And uh, I went to go and see, uh, well, from our paddock, which is like a mile away from where the track is, all the way to in the paddock of F1. Freaking awesome. No, like hardly ever been in there. Onto the Red Bull barge. And uh, yeah, I walked in, met him, had a little conversation. I still remember pretty much everything he said. I'm going, do share, do share. I'd imagine he was very generous in his praise. Yes. Um, he just wanted to kind of know a little bit about me, I guess. And, you know, asking me a few questions. How much does a Formula Renault car weigh? I've got no idea. I'm like, I have to come up with a word. I have to come up with something, didn't I? I had to come up with, yeah, you know, uh, 400 kilos, 426 and something like that. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, I think I even actually ended up saying, I don't really, I don't really know. And then um, the next thing he said was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should say it. <laughs> the next thing he said was, well, Max would know. Max knows everything about the car. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what to say after that. I was just like, ah, right, okay. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I can't really remember what happened, but I didn't. Well, I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, okay, um, moving on, kind of thing. I just, yeah, I was speechless, and uh, yeah, that was about that. So I'm, no offer. No, no offer. No, um, I was, I was in a good position with what I was doing, and uh, my manager as well looked after a lot of the, the conversations and stuff like that. And for the best, I think uh, there might have been something, but I, I ended up not obviously not joining Red Bull and um, continuing in the run and the situation I was in at the time, which was just doing well in Formula, Ren or Formula Renault, ended up winning that. Um, being a free guy, basically, not getting caught up in the, rent, the Red Bull. You know, once you're in, you're on a tight leash with yeah. what you can do. I'm sure then, Carlos has told you a bit yes, about that. Yes, he yeah. has. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for my, my manager, 
knew for the, for me was the, the best thing was to, to be on my own and not be with, with Red Bull or even another team at the time. Because um, I still had the possibility to go through to F3 and F2 and, and do that um, before having to or choosing to join an F1 team. So, Carlos, you live vaguely close to each mm-hmm. other in the UK. Um, do you hang out? Mm, not. He's, he's rarely there, to be honest. He lives in Spain still. That's not what he tells us in the media. I've moved to Woking. I mean, yes. <laughs> he's there a lot of the You've time. You've just blown but, his cover. Oh, shite. <laughs> um, he's 50-50. He lives in Spain. He still goes and lives with his family a lot of the time. But he's, I would say he's there a good two, three days a week. Always there, obviously, to be at, at McLaren. So when he's there, he's uh, mostly at McLaren. Um, normally for the weekends, he flies back. And then for the week after, he'll, he'll come back. Um, so when he is there, you know, we'll play on the sim or um, go and play top golf. Together, you'll go to the driving range and yes. whack a few balls. I mean, he's really good at golf. Yeah, he is, isn't um, he? freaking yeah. awful. Oh, yeah. So he has a lot to, yeah. He, he actually helps me quite a bit. But, but so what happens when it gets tasty and, you know, let's hope that the McLaren is, is competitive this yeah. year and you guys are fighting at the sharp end. When it gets a bit tasty on track between you and you're fighting over the same bit of tarmac, do you envisage a situation where it's going to get out of control or do you think that the friendship is deep enough for you guys to be able to deal with I whatever I know at some point way? in the future um, and this year, it's going to get more tense and more iffy and we're going to probably fall out a few times in terms of getting frustrated with one another or you know he holds me up or something or I hold him up or something not not on purpose because I don't think I'll ever go that far but um, you know you lose out on a position or something because you're racing or you're side by side and you squeeze him and he has to run off or I have to run off the track you're going to have something like that and uh, someone's going to be uh, annoyed about it and be one of the one of us is going to be unhappy so uh, yes, I think that is going to happen, but um, I don't know. I don't Have you discussed it? No. Have you discussed it with Andreas Seidel, team principal? I think we have a very good, not we don't have rules and we don't have team artists, but we have a very good understanding for one another, for our best interests for each other um, and ourselves, but also the team and what we want to achieve with the team. And obviously hoping to be with McLaren in the future years. And for that is, you know, do what we did last year. And we wouldn't have got fourth in the constructors last year. So I can probably say it's, it's better if I say about last year, that without working how we did last year and having our own principles and uh, respect for one another and trying to help each other and be a team, we would not have finished fourth in the constructors last year. Um, a lot of good results from him well, let's say helped by me and a lot of my results, which were good, were helped by him. So we've we've worked really well together and I think that's been very beneficial for us. Um, and of course, that's more what I meant by, if we can stay with McLaren, that's our goal. It's, we want to be winning races. We don't want to just be you know, P8, P9 like we were last year. We want to be winning and doing even better. So for each other and coming into this year, I think we did the best job we could to, to work together. How confident are you of getting another year out of McLaren? At least another year. 
Um, that's a, I don't know. It's a difficult question because... Um, Does it weigh on your mind? No, not yet. Probably will <laughs> coming later on in the season. At the moment, I'm, I just need to just do what I did last year, pretty much. I think that was a good start. There's things I need to work on for them to be very confident. But they give me confidence and they're honest and they say what I'm good and what I need to do better on, um, which is very good. And that gives me the ability to work on those things and be a more complete and better driver. And as long as I work on that, um, I think I've proven a lot of reasons why I should be able to stay and given you know that little bit more time to work on these small things. But at the same time, um, that I've done a good enough job last season already um, knowing that I'll probably only improve to stay with the team. So Max Verstappen is also a mate, you say? Yeah. Um, he's also a teammate, isn't he? Team yes, Redline. Yes, he is. Who's quicker? I've got to talk about e-racing now. Uh, this is tough. We're very similar, in fact. Um, it's, it ends up coming down to who spends the most time on the simulator. And we're both very committed to spending a lot of time on the simulator, testing and putting in laps. He's the same as me, I think, in terms of when he wants to do something well, he spends a lot of time trying to be perfect at it, um, when, especially when it comes down to the, to the driving and to racing. So, Housework? I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a glorious life for Monaco. Um, no, I'm not too sure, but... We, we both like push each other and we're both very competitive when it comes to driving on the simulator. We both want to beat each other just as much as normal and as, a, as driving an F1 car. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good, it's just competition. But uh, again, we've not raced each other on the actual track yet, so. What about Lewis Hamilton? How, how are relations with him? How well do you know him? Uh, I don't, I don't know him. Let's say, uh, I've only, I've only really seen what you've seen. Do you chat when you're on the on the bus going around, waving at the crowd before the no, race? No, he normally has his, his headphones in and he's on his own. So I don't think he really speaks to anyone <laughs> normally. Did he talk to you at the I start? I wished him Merry Christmas year? and Happy New Year. In Abu Dhabi, you said. No, that? I mean I text him. Oh, okay, I've got his number. And I can uh, all right sell it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and did you get a reply? I did. And he wished me back. Yeah. I don't know if I said Merry Christmas. I remember I Michael Schumacher um, always used to make a thing out of getting to know all of the drivers on the grid. So a new guy, Pedro de la Rosa, used to say his first race in 1999 in Melbourne, the, first, the person who opened the door of the hotel for him, the Crown Towers in Melbourne, was Michael Schumacher. Yeah. And they had a chat and Michael introduced himself. There was none of that from Lewis uh, towards you. No, it's more... No. Oh, yeah, how are you doing? Then he's off. Right, okay. So what about the press conference at Silverstone last year then? Lewis was in that press conference. Mm -hmm. Daniel Ricciardo was there. You were there as well. Yeah, yeah I, was. I was. I remember it vividly. <laughs> I mean, um, that was funny. Yeah. Can, we, can, can you share the joke now, six months Everyone off? knows the joke. You should what, know. What, what, it was I, in the, the, the script. I can't, after. I can't remember the joke. You'll have to tell me again. All right. I can't remember what was going on. I was talking about moustaches, weren't we? Yes, we were, yeah. And how Lewis can grow one very well. And I said, um, yeah, I've been growing one for, what, 19 years? Still not, not going so strong. 
And um, then Daniel peered over to his left and was um, like, uh, <laughs> have you even got pubes yet? Um, <laughs> and uh, as, a, as a joke, I answered no, but like but just between me and him. So, um, so no one could really, hit, really hear, you can only see us saying it after. Um, and like nothing happened for a few seconds. And you know when you're in school and you, you got your mates that kind of made you laugh, but you're trying to concentrate and then you look up but you just see him giggling and then you can't help, but help yourself but just laugh. It was that situation. And uh, we just talking about it. And Danny's just, a, he's a funny guy. And um, I kind of like looked back over and I just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. My but jaw was hurting, I was laughing. It was so, it was. It I, was I, I couldn't ask you another question as the, as the, as the MC, could I? You, you, you were gone. No, gone. Was the gone. man was gone. Completely. But I love that you're just so relaxed in this environment. Yeah. That's what I took away from that press conference is that this guy, Lando Norris, you know, there are a lot of people who are quite nervous before that kind of thing. And yet you're just so easy with the whole thing. It's like... Well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm nervous. I, you know, I need to answer the questions right. I can't, I can't just say whatever. I still need to be a little bit mm. within the, mm. you know, sponsors and, and team and what our goals are and, and, and everything like that. So I still have to, you still need to talk a little bit about, mm. you have to still be a team player kind of thing and say what you should say and not say what you shouldn't say, but... Um, so I'm still nervous about that and you know it's live TV and everything you don't want to mess up make a fool of yourself like I did um, <laughs> oh no oh. <laughs> but uh, it's still like yeah no, still there's... trying to be normal and just you and then him making you laugh it's still just that's what happens and if we weren't in that situation I don't know maybe it wouldn't have been as funny I think it was just funny that <laughs> we're in front of like a live TV and you're asking the questions and it's just Situation made it even worse, but yeah, um, you, 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 yeah, you got McLaren a few headlines that day. But I look, did. I mean, it was all part of the plan. It, it was, was all part of the plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now look, there's one last area I just wanted to ask you about, and that is the whole sort of social media thing. Yeah. And how close is the virtual Lando, the guy that we see on Instagram and twitching and all these sorts of things? How how close is that person to the the virtual? How close is the virtual Lando to the real Lando? To me. Um, but I think what you see on Twitch is just me. I mean, it's just me with a camera in front of me. Why do you do that? It's just good fun. Yeah, if I'm spending those 36 hours playing on my computer or whatever <laughs> it was, I, I, ne I would never do that solo. I couldn't just spend that time on my own. I normally play with some friends or I'm, you know, playing with some other drivers or, yeah, playing with some people I know. Um, but at the same time, if no one else is on or wants to play, then I stream and you can just interact with your viewers, you know, with my, my well, not viewers, my fans and people that want to see a normal me, a normal driver that sits at home and plays on a computer like a normal person. And that it's not, I'm not some, some hero that just, you know, magically drives an F1 car and everything I do is like something that they could dream of doing I still just sit at home and I play on my computer so um, I know it's just good fun and it creates a lot of laughs a lot of the time because you have people saying stuff and it just, I mean I'm chatting with people online but you're just answering questions they create challenges 
you can make people's day by um, you can do giveaways you can do whatever that's where I started my merch actually that's where I started all of it um, it's just it's another way of giving my fans another or more interaction with me mm. it's also just because I get a bit bored sometimes Do you, you, you spoke at the launch of the MCL 35 about some negativity you've got yeah um, do you feel very vulnerable, very exposed in your position as a Formula One driver who tries to interact and give back to the fans? Yes. Yeah. Do you feel um, exposed? And I guess you do a little bit. There's, and I mean, you do. A lot of me, like, I don't care about, and I'm not that fussed about what people say. What kind of things do people say? Um. It's just a lot of stuff like... I know it's... It doesn't even have to be horrendous, but it's, it can... I mean, does it get very personal? Or is it just Ferrari fans saying, oh, I don't like McLaren? No, like that, I don't care at all about what, what those people would say. I mean, that's just their own opinion about the team, and that's fine. But if it's more personal stuff, you know, you just got people that talk about, say, my family, or my dad, or things that they literally don't have a clue about, and they think that they have an idea... And they're saying stuff, you know, yeah, more, a lot of it's personal about my family or something. Then that's what gets to me a bit more. Do you reply? Do you engage with no, these people? No, I, I don't, I never do that. No. I mean, I, a lot of the time I just laugh and I love seeing what people can come up with and where they get these ideas from. Yeah. So but I love seeing that sometimes, you, but you there's know. still some things and it's more than about how people, what people see as in me. So the thing that I said I was going to change with social media was I make these jokes and I post them online and I have fun and I, I don't just post about Formula One cars like you get a lot of drivers. Not obviously a lot of drivers, like some of the drivers do. But I post a lot about fun and what I do at home and stuff like that, which, again, they're not all my fans want to see. A lot of them just want to see McLaren and me winning and stuff like that, which, which I'm still fine with. But um, the thing is, when you make when I if I make a mistake or I've done something, then they are they see that the day before I posted something funny, a joke. For some reason, and which I think is normal for a human, but you see that, and they think the reason I would have made that mistake is because you know they've not seen any other driver post a joke or something funny on social media, and I'm the only like one of the only ones or. I think I was one of very few or the only one. I think everyone's changed a bit now. Um, that did something like that and post a joke and so on. They use that as the excuse for why I would have made that mistake in qualifying or why I made the mistake in the race. Like, you know, you're not concentrating enough, you're not focusing on the right thing. Maybe you should stop making all these jokes and stuff like that. Which again, I'm completely fine with. I, do not, I don't get stressed about that or worry about it. But it's just... I'd rather not see it. And without having to change who I am, because I'm not going to do anything like that, um, it's just choose a bit more specifically when I post jokes and stuff like that and memes and post more relaxing stuff and post a bit more about me working with my engineers and going for a run and being in the gym just so that I, I still show them a little bit more of that I'm hardworking and that I do my best I can in Formula One and it's not all just fun and jokes and stuff like that. 
isn't it? It's sort of perception. It's just yeah, the whole perception of you've got to have you feel. Who I am. Am. But isn't that? And I'm fine with what a lot of people. I don't. I feel that's. A, do people, you feel that's sad that you feel you have to give the perception that you're hardworking and training when you know you know you're doing no, that? No, because it's it's something so small. I think, like uh, I'm not changing anything who I am. I'm just posting like what times and how often I post about something funny, which mm. is like so easy to do. It's not like I have to go and spend so much time thinking, all right, I can't do this now and I have to not be me. It's just, I don't post it until after the weekend. Simple as that. Um, mm. Or something like that. It's, it's just something small, which uh, I don't think it's that sad because it's so small. But if it gets to the point where I'm like, I just can't be me and, and so on, then um, then that's the sad point. But I'm I'm not anything like that. I, I find the humour in a lot of the hate that I get. I feel sad. I feel sad listening to you describe oh. it like that. But well, look, let's end on a positive note. Yes. Uh, by the way, the chicken still hasn't been It is been still touched. there. It's not really even touched. We predicted that, didn't we? We predicted that the chicken was going to be touched. But look, final thoughts then. What have I got? I, I, um, go on, McLaren's chances in 2020. Yep. Is it, you know, Carlos got a podium last year. Is that, if I was to sit down with you after Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. how would you sum up a successful season? I would sum up a successful season by, hmm, well, as a team, as a team, I'd say successful is by simply doing a better job than we did last season, by making the most of more of the opportunities and mistakes by the top three teams, being there more when it counts, less problems with reliability, which is within our hands. As a team, I think that's, that's our goal, is just to take another step forward gather even more understanding for next year but at the same time still try and get even better results throughout the year um you know get more of those p4s or p5s even and if we can get the podium but with the podiums i think we'll need a bit of luck from my side is to work on those areas which i struggled in last year and i know i wasn't good enough in and such as, such as the race right. <laughs> in a simple term the race be on top of you know the communication, the tire saving, fuel saving strategy. Um, again, not being the yes man and just going, yeah, okay, I'll do this. But being proactive in in thinking, all right, actually, I want to stay out. I want, I don't want to do a two stop. I want to do a one stop. Or guys, I think we need to change the two stop and coming up with my own ideas a bit more. Um, but then doing a better job at tire saving, more efficient, and all these little things. I mean, all comes with big. confidence, right? They do. And um, already in this, the test and the last few days, I feel like I've done a much better job in a few of those areas, um, which has already made me more confident and happier. But position-wise, personally, there's nothing I want to achieve or can set my goal for in terms of I want to get a P4 this season or anything. I'd love to get a podium. <laughs> that would be nice. But for myself, is to work on my weaknesses. I just do what I did last season, which was my best. And... Uh, Enjoy it and and yeah, new contract in your back pocket. Hey? Yeah, exactly. Yes, that would be another. That's another one. Make sure I'm here next year. Lando, best of luck with everything. What a great chat. Thank you so much for your time. Been a pleasure. All right, see you soon. Thank you very Cheers. Much. A lot's changed for Lando since we recorded that chat, and I hope we'll catch up with him again soon. He's had podiums. He's had a pole. And who knows what the future holds for him? I can't wait to see how far his star can rise. 
Now, don't forget, season five of F1 Beyond the Grid gets underway on the 16th of March. Follow the podcast on your favorite app so you never miss an episode. And if you like, please give us a rating as well and tell us who you'd like to hear from in season five using the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. One more thing before I go. This show has been nominated for Best Motorsports Podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. And to win, we need your help. If you've enjoyed listening to our episodes, search for Sports Podcast Awards and follow the links to cast your vote for F1 Beyond the Grid. Thanks for listening.